Again, my name is Prentice, and we are continuing the series uh, on Job. Now, again, I know uh, there's an important game on today, uh, and and for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know who you are rooting for, uh, but I'm really excited as well for the Puppy Bowl. Anybody excited for the Puppy Bowl? Okay, just if you don't know what that is, you'll have to look it up. You will thank me later. Uh, So, uh, again, we're so glad that you're here as we talk about Job. And today is going to be kind of an obscure passage. And instead of reading it from the beginning, uh, I'm going to read it throughout the sermon because it's going to cover a couple chapters. Uh, And in these two chapters, we're talking about uh, these two creatures that God talks about. Uh, And God calls uh, one of them Bohemoth and the other one, Leviathan. And so I know that sounds obscure, and and what we'll read sounds strange, but uh, it'll make sense as we go along. And so with that said, let me pray, and let's get started. God, thank you that you have given us the book of Job, that in times of suffering, in times of trial, in times of pain, that you have promised us restoration and healing, in peace. God, you don't promise that you'll answer every single one of our prayers, but you promise that you will be walking alongside of us, that you love us, that you are absolutely in control, and your wisdom is unfathomable to our minds. And so, God, may we, regardless of what we are going through, trust you and surrender our lives to you this morning. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, in my small group, we were playing a a game, and it was kind of a get-to-know-you game, Uh, and there was just random questions that we asked each other, and one of the questions that was asked was, have you ever, uh, uh, this is a strange way to start a sermon, but have you ever had a near-death experience? And you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you have had a near-death experience, and I was thinking about it. And I realized, like some of you, I've actually had a legitimate near-death experience. It was several years ago when I was living in California, uh, and, I would, and I lived right by the water, uh, and my friends and I, we would often go surfing. And so, yes, as you connect the dots, this near-death experience has to do with uh, this, this time when I was surfing. Uh, And so one morning, we all took our boards out and and we went. And there's a few things about surfing culture that I had to learn quickly. Uh, One, surfing culture, you realize it's very territorial. And so if you go to a new break or a new beach or whatever it is, uh, and you look unfamiliar, people will kind of give you the stare, kind of like, hey, what are you doing here? This is our beach. So it's really territorial. Uh, Second, you'll quickly realize that there's a lot of ego involved. Hey, is that person better than me? Hey, will that person be brave enough to catch that wave? Will you, uh, you know, take my wave or whatever it is? There's a lot of ego involved. And lastly, and I don't know why this isn't true in Seattle, but everybody, including and especially the guys, they wear Uggs. I don't know if you're familiar with the shoes, Uggs, but for whatever reason, it's a big thing down there for guys to wear Uggs when they're surfing. And so it was this morning that my friends went out, uh, and here's another thing. You, you know when someone is a good or skilled surfer uh, when they don't have a leash. 
And, and what a leash is when you go surfing is it's a, it's a rubber cord, essentially, connecting from your ankle to the surfboard. So that way, if and when you fall, uh, then, A, you'll be safe because you have a flotation device or surfboard, and your surfboard won't run away from you. But you'll also see some people go without now, if you see those people without wearing a leash, that, that means they are good. They are skillful, and people, people look for that, and people see that and give them high praise. And so, again, one morning when my friends went out, we realized and we decided that on this day, we will no longer need the leash for our surfboard. And so, quickly we found out, or at least I found out, that that was probably a really bad idea. Now, to be fair, things were going really well in the water until quickly it wasn't. I was catching a wave, and, and sometimes when you're on the wave, you don't realize how big the wave is until you're actually on it. And, and so there was this one wave that I caught really by accident, and I look back, and the wave is way bigger than I thought, and, and out of nowhere, it swallows me up. And I remember just panicking at that time, and I was flipping, you know, upside down and right side up and twisting here and there, and I thought I was going to drown. And as I was swimming, I broke the biggest rule when it comes to surfing in the water, and the rule is this. When you fall in, you have to just kind of relax your body, and when your body starts to float, that's the direction that you start paddling. And the reason why that's important is because I didn't do that. Out of panicking, as soon as I hit the water, I started swimming, thinking I was going up, and the reality is I was going down. I hit the ground as I was running out of breath, and by the grace of God, somehow I was able to come out. Unfortunately, my surfboard didn't make it as lucky as me. Now, at that moment, when I came out of the water, yes, physically I was exhausted, and, and yes, I was scared because it, that was quite literally a near-death experience for me, oh, but what I'll really never forget is how I felt, and maybe some of you all can resonate with this kind of feeling, and, and the feeling is this. I, I felt overwhelmed. I remember thinking about that wave and just thinking, wow, that's really big. That's really overwhelming. That is giant. That is massive, and it's about to engulf me. Uh, I remember feeling a sense uh, of being overwhelmed, a sense of helplessness. And, and really, as I was twisting and turning in the water, I felt a sense of chaos and really disorder in what was happening. And, and maybe if you're anything like me, you, you, you felt these feelings before. Now, again, maybe it wasn't inside of a water. Maybe it wasn't from a surfing trip. But maybe you have felt the sense that life, for whatever reason, is feeling overwhelming. And, and not just overwhelming, but there's a sense of chaos that is really hard to control in your life. And, and maybe just like the wave and whatever you want to call it or whatever it is, oftentimes in life, if you're not experiencing it now, maybe you will in the future, maybe you have in the past, but you have had to go face to face, one on one with giants, whatever those giants are in your life. We've all experienced these things. Maybe it's in your relationships and there was division and conflict and brokenness. 
whether it's your friendship or maybe it's your marriage or within your family. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in this view of this pandemic and you feel the weight and oftentimes it just feels so heavy. And again, you don't have to raise your hand, but I, I, I would take a bet that many of us, if not all of us, ha- have felt this sense of heaviness in our lives. And really, as the theme of Job unfolds, it has a lot to do with Job's suffering. And again, maybe we haven't suffered the way that Job has suffered, but maybe we have experienced suffering some way, shape, or form. And and from that suffering, it feels like life is just heavy and uncontrollable and chaotic. And what we see in our reading uh, uh, this morning as we talk about these two creatures, Bohemoth and Leviathan, uh, may it be an encouragement and a reminder that in those moments of our weakness, of our suffering, of our pain, of our grief, of our loss, of our feeling of, uh, of, of helplessness and a lack of control, that the story of Job, the biggest point is in the midst of everything that's happening, no matter how you feel, no matter what you know, no matter what you don't know, God is in control. And, and oftentimes that sounds like a cop-out because whatever you're going through, and it, you know, it's one of the worst like pastoral care moments when someone comes up to me and says, here's all the things that I'm going through, Prentice, and, and I don't know what to do about it. And of course, there's more that we discuss, but at the end of the day, I can say nothing more than to say, you know what? God is in control. And my hope this morning for you is that regardless of what your giants are that you are facing, that you would understand, believe, and know as much of a platitude as it sounds like, that God is in control, and knowing that we can trust and we can surrender. You see, as we get to Job chapter 40 and 41, This is a moment that God is speaking to Job now. You see, leading up to this, Job, again, uh, is several. In the beginning of the book, Job loses everything. He loses his children. He loses his livestock, which is really about his wealth. He loses his own health. Essentially, he loses everything. And the whole story in the chapters leading up to this is about Job asking and questioning God as to why, God, why am I losing all of this? God, why did I experience this? And throughout the chapters, his friends chime in and say, well, here's the reason why you're experiencing this. It's because you must have sinned. You must have really made God angry. Because remember, that was the retribution principle that we talked about. If you do something bad, you get bad. If you do something good, then you get good. And really, that is not the way that the economy of God works. And so out of confusion, Job is saying to his friends, no, 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 no. I know what it looks like, and I know what I'm going through, and I know what I had gone through, but I, but I did not commit sin. I, I did not make God angry. And so really, the only conclusion that Job can figure out is that, God is unjust. 
And so throughout the chapters, Job, and like many of us, we do this, we're like, God, where are you? God, are you actually just? God, do you actually care about me? God, do you actually love me? Because it seems like from the things that are happening to me that you don't. And so finally, in these chapters, God responds. He says after, God, respo- God responds to Job after Job's questioning after Job's accusing of God, again, of being unfair, unjust, and that his suffering was without merit, God replies with talking about these two creatures, starting in chapter 4, 15 through 19. I'll just read a few verses, but God spent two whole chapters talking about two different creatures or, or, or images. He says, look at Bohemoth, which I made along with you. This is God speaking and which feeds on grass like an ox, what strength it has in its loins and what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of the thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. Essentially, Throughout the entire chapter, God is saying, all right, Job, I heard what you said, but let me back up a little bit and tell you a little bit of a story. He says, take a look at this animal, this creature named Bohemoth. And he spends a whole chapter on how big and how strong and really how destructible and how gigantic this Bohemoth is. And he throws, God throws in these words, uh, like, look at Bohemoth, which I made along with you. Basically, that's God's way of saying, yes, this creature is big, it's gigantic, it's it's destructive, and yet I'm the one that created it. In other words, I have control over it. I have control over this giant that's in your life. And then he talks about this other creature called uh, Leviathan. Uh, In the next chapter, it says in verse 1, can you pull in Leviathan? It's a sea creature. So can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? These are all rhetorical questions. Essentially, there's Leviathan who's in the sea. Can you just essentially go fishing and and grab the Leviathan? Well, the answer is, of course not, because it's huge. It's gigantic. Just like the bohemian, these two creatures are are indestructible and no human can compare to it. Now, we don't know exactly what the Bohemoth or the Leviathan were. There's speculation that Bohemoth was a hippopotamus and Leviathan was a crocodile, which was actually common creatures in the ancient Near East. Others believe that they were dinosaurs. I don't know that I buy that one, but others believe it was, they were dinosaurs. But Uh, Most likely, they were mythological creatures that were commonly talked about in the ancient Near East, in ancient Egypt, in ancient Israel. And there's a scholar named Carol Newsom, who's a a scholar specifically on Job. Uh, She says this, that the creatures in and of themselves are not the point of the story in Job. The point of the story of the Bohemoth and Leviathan are what it symbolizes. You see, both are giants that cannot be tamed by any human. Both represent chaos. Both represent suffering. 
Both represent a sense of evil, particularly the Leviathan, because the waters and the seas and the scriptures, they represent evil, and that's what the Leviathan came out of. And oftentimes we can take this and what it symbolizes and apply it to many of our human conditions. This speaks of the human condition that we all face, mainly that we all face particular giants in our lives. And some of these giants include illnesses, death, loss, especially during this pandemic, broken relationships, financial struggles, anxiety, loneliness, depression. And maybe you're sitting here and you can think of your own giants that you are wrestling with right now as I speak. And even so, God makes it a point in the story of the behemoth and the Leviathan to say that even these creatures, though the humans have no control over them, I have control over them. The writer of Job spent two whole chapters on these creatures to point out that compared to humans compared to these two creatures, the humans are small. We're finite. It's a reminder that we are not God. It's a reminder that to, to, to feel out of control sometimes or to feel helpless sometimes, that's all part of being human. That is the way that we were created and, and what the story is saying, but God's a different, is a, is a different person. God can come in and whatever giants you're facing, just like how God can tame the Leviathan, just like how God can contain uh, the behemoth, God can contain the monsters, the giants in our own lives. Again, whatever they may be, and for many of us, they are all different. And sometimes what that looks like is God answering our prayers exactly the way we asked. God, here is this behemoth of a giant. Here is this Leviathan-sized giant in my life. Again, maybe it is an illness. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe it's something that has to do with my health. And oftentimes we pray and say, God, would you heal me? God, would you deliver me from what is happening right now? God, would you fix this circumstance in this broken relationship? God, would you intervene and bring us joy and peace again? God, in my unhealthiness, would you bring me life and would you, would you bring me wholeness? And, and sometimes, and I would say a lot of times, God says, yes, I will restore you. I will, I will restore your marriage. I will, I will restore your health. I will restore your finances or, or whatever it is. And, and believe me, when I say this, you have to know uh, to a fault, I would say that, you know, there's some pastors and churches and Christians that I admire because they have such a focus uh, and a belief and a, just a raw faith that whatever they pray, that God will answer. And they've seen miracles. They've seen, they say signs and wonders. They've seen actual healings. They, they, they've heard audibly from God. And, and I hate to disappoint you, but your pastor standing here, I, I haven't heard God audibly ever. And it's very rare that, uh, you know, I, I see uh, 
with my own eyes, just sudden miraculous healings, or, you know, to be honest, and I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I, I truly do, but I would say that for myself, I, I've yet or ever have practiced the gift of speaking in tongues or, or prophesying. And, and I say that actually as a detriment because I so admire my friends, many of my colleagues that do have experienced those. But, but it's important for me to understand that oftentimes and many times when we pray for these miracles, these giants in our lives, God comes through and God answers. I remember several years ago, again, me being outside of the more, you know, uh, to use this buzzword, charismatic world. I remember a few years ago, I had not just a stomach ache, but, I, but the doctors thought it, they were, uh, there were ulcers or, or they didn't know what it was. And I was living in California at the time. And I remember there was this pain in my stomach where I, I couldn't focus uh, on school. I couldn't focus on my social life. I couldn't focus on, on really anything but really just laying in bed. And really there was no position. It was one of those where there was no position where I felt comfort. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And I was actually in utter physical pain for like four to five weeks. And I remember uh, I called home to Seattle to my parents at the time. And I said, uh, you know, like, I'm not doing well. Like my, my, my stomach or the doctors, they don't know what it is. I was going in and out of the doctors, taking pl blood tests and taking all these tests. And, and they couldn't figure it out. And they, they thought it was ulcers or, or whatever it is. And, and so finally I told my parents, you know what? I'm just going to come home for just a couple weeks just to rest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, take a little bit of an absence from, from school. I was going to seminary at the time. And I told my parents, I'm going to just come in. I'm going to come home and just rest. And I remember the first night, I was in excruciating pain while I was at home. I was trying to keep it down. It was to the point of tears. But then I remember I ran out of things to do of medicine to take. And so I got down on my knees that night, and I'll never forget it. I started praying again in tears, and I said, God, would you remove this pain from my stomach? And, and to be honest, I didn't really know what to expect. It was, a, it was a night where I'm like, okay, if I'm facing giants, this is a huge giant that has just been stressing me out, that has engulfed me for the last month or so, and I'm here I am on my knees, I don't know what to expect, and I'm praying, God, would you just remove this pain from my stomach? And then I went to bed still, and I, by the grace of God, I, I fell asleep even within, with, with the pain. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not embellishing. I, I, I'm telling the truth. The next morning, I woke up pain-free. And, and again, I've never experienced anything like that before. Because again, the, the, I guess the, 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 the pastor or church camp that I come from, the denomination that I was a part of, uh, we were much more cerebral and much more um, into the, you know, the exegetical or the preaching or, you know, studying the Bible. We were a little bit less on what the Holy Spirit can do. And, and again, I say that to a detriment, and I'm learning right now how to have a good balance uh, of, of both. And I remember being so grateful that God had answered my prayers as I was facing this giant of a stomach issue in my life. 
And again, God answers these questions for many of us. And so my encouragement to you is that if you are going through giants, if you are facing uh, something like a behemoth or a leviathan, I encourage you with faith to pray and say, God, would you, would you come and would you intervene in what is happening? Would you bring healing? God, would you bring restoration to my body? But then there's times where God doesn't come through in the ways that we want in the way that we pray. A couple of days ago, I was at a coffee shop near Green Lake, and I ran into a former student of mine. He was in college, and he, he sat down, and he was, you know, we were kind of, we were catching up. We hadn't talked in like two years. And as we were catching up, he was telling me that last December, just a few months ago, that he had lost his dad uh, through COVID. And it was a shock to his whole family because, relatively speaking, his dad was young on the younger side. He was completely healthy. And so for him to have died through COVID was a shock to them. And I remember him telling me that as he was in bed or in the hospital bed, that they were kept on praying for healing and miracles that his dad would be okay, only to find out that a few days later their prayers were not answered. And right around Christmas, his dad died. You see, many of us, including my former students, we've all experienced unanswered prayers, especially in our time of suffering. And though God never answers the question why suffering happens, particularly to Job, Job always asks, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? God never answers. Oftentimes and sometimes, as much as God answers our prayers, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't hear us. It doesn't mean that God is not listening. It doesn't mean that God is not moving. Because oftentimes God is answering our prayers and moving in our lives, in and through our circumstances, in our suffering, but not in the way that we want, not in the way that we wish for. And if nothing else, what God is doing through our struggles, in our challenges, in our suffering, when we're facing giants, is that God is going to use those things for God's own kingdom to teach us something. Now, I'm not saying that God creates these hardships. I'm not saying that God makes people fall ill or does bad things to people. But what God does do is that because God is in control of all things, when these things do happen for whatever reason, that's a whole different sermon in and of itself. When bad things, when evil things happen, God has the power to do something with it. The story of hardship and suffering does, does not have the last word in the kingdom of God. God has the power to use Bohemoth and Leviathan, giants, uncertainty, tragedy even, though God's heart is broken alongside with ours, God has the power then to use those big things 
to bring about meaning and growth and transformation in our suffering. There's a man named Viktor Frankl who uh, wrote this book called Man Searching for Meaning. He tells a story in the book about being a, a Holocaust survivor. And as he looks back at his horrific experience, he says this about suffering. He says, suffering ceases to be suffering once it finds its meaning. Suffering is no longer suffering when it finds its meaning. God is bringing meaning to your life. God is bringing about transformation. God is bringing about purpose. God is bringing about growth in your life, whether you see it or not, in and through your Leviathans, in and through your Bohemians. But the invitation is this, for all of us, regardless of what we're going through, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Jesus saying, if you're going through suffering and hardships, if you're facing your giants, Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? It says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, uh, upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we receive that invitation today. That whatever leviathans or behemoths, whatever giants, whatever suffering, whatever pain, whatever loss you're going through, may you know that in all of those things, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, he says this, the dance of life finds its beginning in grief. And many of us have experienced this. Here, a completely new way of living is revealed in the grief. It is the way in which pain can be embraced, not out of a desire to suffer, but in the knowledge that something new will be born in the pain. I love that. It is the way through grief in which pain can be embraced, not because we want it. Nobody wants to suffer. No one wants pain. But he says, but in the acknowledgement that something new will be born out of the pain. And so he says to embrace it. Don't run away from it. Confront it. Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to be with you in and through this. And though we may not have control of how things unfold in our lives, know this, God is in control and that God is moving. Whether you know it or whether you believe it or not, it may be the way that you pray, but it may not be. But in both circumstances, God is on the move. And whatever life throws at you, like Henry Nouwen says, embrace it, not because you enjoy it, not because you want it to prolong, but because you know that God is going to use this for our own growth and our own lessons. And I would say, and this is, I know this is a bold statement, that many times we learn from our pains and suffering in life the very things that we would have never learned without it. 
Now, that doesn't mean to go out and look for suffering. But what it does mean is that God is in control and God is going to use that for God's own glory. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. And God, we know that sometimes there's disbelief, that there's doubt, that there's questions of who you are and how much you love us. But God, help us to just be confident and help us to just trust that you love us unconditionally and that whatever giants that we are facing, and many of us sitting in this room, we are facing our own giants, that you are there and you are walking alongside us. You are bringing about restoration. You are bringing about peace and healing. Though we may not understand how you're moving, may we just surrender to you and know that you are. We thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.